Let's talk hoops. Let's talk crossovers. Let's talk dimes. Let's talk hoops. Let's talk rumor. Let's talk opinions. Let's talk truth. Let's talk future. Let's talk present. Let's talk past. Fundamentals and flash. Me running the flow. Stango running the show like a young Steve Nash. I'd like to welcome all of you to the Great Point Podcast. This is the Great Point Podcast. I'm Adam Stanko. I've been lucky enough to talk to some amazing guests over the last year. Famous players, big-time coaches, and other people who have influenced the game. But there is a glaring omission. That's assistant coaches. They're just as important as head coaches, and in many cases, more so. But their stories, well, they often go untold. Today, I'm changing that and bringing on University of Oregon assistant coach Mike Menega. Now, Mike has a remarkable journey, which went from his playing days at Moorhead State to coaching stints with Maine, Buffalo, Iowa State, Canisius, Providence, and now, as mentioned, with Oregon. And along the way, he's been a major figure on the junior college circuit and one of the major reasons Canadian basketball has exploded over the last few years. Mike is also one of the most enthusiastic, dedicated, passionate, and caring coaches in the country. And for all those reasons, I am delighted to have Mike Menega as a guest on the Great Point Podcast. Welcome, Mike. Oh, my gosh, Adam. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure you know, to finally piece this together with you. Um, and, uh, man, I heard that intro right there. And I really wish Shanetta was on. My wife was on that. Was on the conference call with us. That would have helped me out big time right there. So I need to get a copy of this to share with Shanetta. Sure. <laughs> I, I guarantee. No, I guarantee you'll no. be getting that. <laughs> oh man, Adam. No, I appreciate that. You know, obviously, you know, it's a, it's, there's a lot of passion there, and there, but there's a lot of passionate people and coaches out there. So it's, you know, it's 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 a team effort. All those, you know, and every in every aspect you just did, you know talked about. You know, there were significant other players involved with uh, doing all the loop from the little projects to the big projects, you know, to the seasons, to the losing seasons, to the winning seasons, all that stuff. So, but anyways, Adam, yeah, Shanetta, I wish she was on the line for that one. We'll make sure, we'll make sure she hears it. We're going to get to to all those people involved. Mike, I want to start out, we we go back a long way, so I want to start out uh, by asking you about a time before we, we had ever met. And uh, it's what I like to ask all guests to start the podcast off. And that is, what is your earliest basketball memory? You know what? That's funny, Adam. I mean, the the most glaring basketball moment that I can remember is that I grew up in Rancho, Illinois. We attended a a Catholic little grade school called St. Malachi. And in St. Malachi, there was like a little basketball tradition there, you know, long before I got there. But, uh, you know, there was a third and fourth grade team. And, uh, man, you were hooping on the big baskets, you know, third, you know, and so you had practice every Saturday. And I remember my biggest moment, Adam, was my first official basket ever made in a five on five competition. And this probably is telling for my future. I, I pulled up from the dead corner, seriously, the dead corner, and I banked it in for a bucket. Boom. That was it. <laughs> Fell in love with ball right there. So, uh, is that even, I sat there, I looked, I said, you banked it in from the corner. So, uh, uh, so, so funny. So, yeah, so when I was in third grade is when we started, uh, you know, the, you know, the, you know, the, you know, the connection between what I was and, you know, where I wanted to be and go is was with basketball started with the corner bank shot in third grade. How about that? Pretty impressive. So early on during that stretch, Mike, who who was uh, who was your biggest basketball influence? Well, at that time, you know, I had an older brother um, who was in high school or just junior high, moving on to high school, and that run right there. And then my dad, um, you know, coached that third and fourth grade, and also helped with the fifth and sixth grade team at St. Malachi. So you know, they were already involved and into it. You know, so. Uh, uh, my brother was a good player. He ended up actually, you know, going on to Rantoul High School, actually where I played, and was kind of an all, you know, all conference guy. Went on to uh, Commerce State Junior College, did a really nice job there, and then, 
uh, you know, kind of moved on from there. So, you know, anyway, so basketball was just kind of around even at an early age, you know, on the family side. All right. And you followed him in that path, right? You go on to play at, at uh, junior college to to start your career. How was your late high school into that junior college? How was that transition for you? You know what? It's funny, Adam. You know what I mean? It, 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 that whole transition and just looking at, looking at that part from high school to college as a player, that experience, uh, it was a little bit of a roller coaster ride, but even but to this day as a coach, it kind of I, I still go back to lessons during that time, you know, that I went through as a player and apply it now. So I went to Rantoul High School. Let, went from Rantoul High School, actually went to Big Sky University of Nevada, uh, University of Nevada Reno, where Coach Len Stevens was at. I was there for one year, and then I went from there to junior college, Vincennes Junior College uh, in Indiana, played for. Hall of Fame junior college coach Dan Sparks uh, influenced me greatly. And he's a great person and a great was a great coach. He's retired now. Um, and then after that, went on to Moorhead State, you know, and then that's where I graduated from at Moorhead State. And Vincennes has a long history of talented players. If I if I recall correctly, and could be wrong, uh, Sean Marion did he spend time at Vincennes? He did. He did, you know. Sean, Sean, Sean was there. Um, you know, I mean, they're, 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 when you walk into the alumni arena at Vincennes, you know, I mean, they have a wall of fame uh, just with all the guys. Just, just not only went on the four-year Division One or Division Two colleges that played there, but the pros and everything. And there, there's a long history there, you know. From like you said, Sean Marion as far back as like the, you know, Bob McAdoo. You know what I mean? So, wow. um, you know, so there's a long history there. And to be honest with you, Adam, you know, it was going at a time when I was there where we, you know, if it was a four-year opportunity, you know, we would have stayed. I would have stayed. You know what I mean? It was, uh, there was a campus there, and it was good. The, the Vincent experience was, uh, was, was, was a good one. All right. So you go on to Moorhead State, and yeah. at that point in time now, let's just say school's coming to an end. Where did you see your future at that time? You know, going in from Vincennes to Moorhead State, I look back to that summer. I just remember this was before AAU basketball. So, man, your summers filled were with, uh, you know, you, you would just go, you know, it was working out, training, going out, finding games, playing. So we were, there was a whole little summer culture my dad and my brothers had going there that we were involved in. And, and I just kind of let that whole process kind of take its shape itself, you know. Um, uh, and so, to be honest with you, Adam, one of the reasons I went to, like, University of Nevada back in the days, when I was in high school, we played kind of that Loyola Marymount style of play, you know, real fast tempo, you know what I mean, and, and, and guys that were, you know, you know, sitting in the programs that were looking for shooters. That's kind of was my thing, you know what I mean? It wasn't much of a defender or anything like that. So <laughs> that part also influenced kind of, you know, how I think now as a coach as far as, you know, adapting to a certain style of play or what have you, you know what I mean? But uh, but at that time, you know, uh, my dad, you know, we were just kind of looking for the right fit, the right program, haven't been in Nevada, now to been saying, hey, we did, we got to get it right this time. So um, OVC Conference was, uh, was known for an up-tempo style of play. And at the time there, a guy named Tommy Gaither was coaching there. And, uh, and had shown some momentum in the, in the program and was doing that. And we were into it, you know, and we liked the, the, you know, we liked it being like six hours from home from Illinois. Exactly. You know, it was good, you know, but there was a coaching change. Uh, Coach Gaither got let go after that year. And, and then we brought in a guy by the name of Dick Fick, who, uh, ironically was from Creighton, you know what I mean? Uh, with Coach Baroni, who took the program over. So, you know, if you look at all those those little things that happened along my path, I mean, there was a lot of experiences there, not only as a player, but also looking at it from a coach to recruit and and, and all types of things. So, um, you know, that 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 uh, that all played into the factors there. All right. So at some point, you realize though that NBA is not in the cards, and maybe the playing future beyond um, college basketball to sustain a life and a family is not. Not there. How do you go into coaching at that at that point? How do you how do you hit that point decision and, and oh, go well, into that's coaching? That's one thing about having a uh, you know a big brother and a uh, a dad who kind of has a feel for that stuff. You know they made it. They 
I, I knew I knew pretty early that uh, the NBA was not in the car. <laughs> was not in the car. You know, what I mean, but it still did take away from the passion to play, and and uh, and I think my dad always kind of pushed me towards the coaching side. He was a great teacher. I mean, regardless, whether it was a you know a six-year-old little boy or little girl just learning the game, or an elite player, you know, one of the he coached AU ball. One of his greatest players there was a guy by the name of Lando Tucker from Lockport, Illinois, that went on to went to Wisconsin and went on to the NBA and. You know, whether he's dealing with a guy like that, you know, my, you know, Pops had a, a unique way of just kind of, uh, connecting with that person in that moment. You know what I mean? It was, uh, and I think that's something I carry with me even, you know, that it influenced me into coaching, you know? So, um, you know, that's kind of that, that's kind of, it was kind of, it looks like it was kind of built in just hearing myself talk to you, Adam. Right. You know, what we were right. doing. All right. So how does it actually happen then? Well, you know, um, that was the part, you know, which was really interesting in how I transitioned from uh, college, from college graduate, just getting into job, the business of it. You know what I mean? Is during that time I was in Rancho, Illinois, where I grew up at University of Illinois at that time was like was in the cusp of the Flying Illini, and uh, they were, you know, Nick Anderson, Kenny Battle. I mean, you, you name it. Uh, Kendall Gill. I mean, there was Marcus Liberty. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Lowell Hamilton was the number one player in the country out of Providence St. Mel. He went to Illinois as part of that team. Was coming off the bench of that team off and on. Marcus Liberty, you know, going way back to Illinois, you know, basketball greats, you know, high school elite talent greats, you know, was also part of that flying line. So anyways, there was a great influence of basketball, just not within our household, but just through the community there, you know. And uh, that being said, Coach John Giannini was on that staff. And uh, fast forward to my first college coaching job at the University of Maine was with Coach Giannini. So, <laughs> uh, so we, we, we got – I was not quite good enough, obviously, for uh, Illinois coming out of high school, but uh, – I still had a great relationship, you know, I mean, through my dad and what we were doing and, you know what I mean? It just kind of, I had a good relationship not with Coach Giannini, but Coach Nagy, Coach Collins, Coach Coombs, Coach Lou Henson, the head coach at Illinois at the time, was always very warm and open, you know what I mean, to me and my family, you know what I mean? So, you know, that was, that, you know, that was kind of, and little did I know at that time, that would be a, a seed that was planted with myself and Coach Giannini, you know what I mean, for me to work with them at Maine. You know, so um, pretty cool stuff when you look back at it like that. And I, I want to ask you about Janini and and uh, your time with him at Maine. But you just touched on something, the whole idea that the relationships and the connections you make while you're, you know, a high school athlete, a high school recruit. Uh, you have a father that's that's involved in the process, a, a brother that's that's had some success. How much of that do you still apply to this day? The idea that. Hey, maybe the kid that I'm recruiting or talking to or some AAU program I have a relationship with, maybe that kid might not be right for what we're doing, but it's the importance of that relationship possibly down the line. Oh, oh, I mean, I mean, I, as far as that's concerned, I mean, I don't think you could even, you know, significantly think of the, uh, the billions of ways relationships could connect you to different opportunities, whether, you know, in, in whatever parts of your life, you know what I mean? You look at back, you know, and just kind of how those have influenced me. And, you know, to this day, you know, just to give you a real pinpoint example, Dylan Ennis, uh, who's in our program right now. I mean, it wouldn't shock me. I always joke with Dylan. I'm just like, hey, I'm going to make sure my resume, you got it, because someday I'm going to be working for you. <laughs> you know, so, the, so clearly – you know, every player, every recruiting opportunity is its own. You bring its own unique variables, and uh, we are all humans and, and connected. And, and you know, obviously, certain you know people will make an impression on you, and you and they're and they're lasting. You know what I mean? And I think that's what you know makes you really good at something is when you kind of put you know your passion about it and you're emotionally into it. You know what I mean? Uh, and I find it you know at the elite level, if you are not that. You know, if you aren't looking at people that way, okay, then somebody's going to beat you. You know what I mean? So it also applies, you know, I think on both sides of the fence as well. You know what I mean? So, so anyway, to answer your question directly, I can, you know, even right now, like Dylan Ennis, you know what I mean? I can tell you right now, I think the kid is going to, 
you know, he'll be an NBA GM or something like that someday, you know, <laughs> so, uh, you know, but like I said, over the years, there's been many, many young men and, and even on both sides, young ladies that I've met through the relationships on the women's side, even, you know what I mean? That, uh, just show a certain type of promise, you know what I mean? That you're just like, wow, you know, wow, that kid's got yep. it. Yep. Know? That kid's got it. Yep. You know, so, uh. So, so anyways, Adam, I think that's what kind of keeps you, uh, keeps you, uh, keeps you young, keeps you fresh, keeps you going. You know what I mean? Is the, is those, uh, unique opportunities to connect kind of with the, these young people who are always just kind of on the come up. You know what I mean? And, uh, and, you know, and just kind of feel pass along your experiences to them and the ones that kind of connect to you on that. Obviously, you know, that takes on a special relationship, you know? So, uh, uh, and those are the guys that we want even here at Oregon, you know, and those, those are the guys we want, you know what I mean? They, the, the ones that connect with what, you know, coach Alton's vision and what we're doing, you know? So, uh, so anyways, Adam, that's a, that, that's a really good, uh, little avenue to go down. I, I'm, I'm into that stuff. Right. For sure. For sure. So to get back to, to your time then in Maine under Janini, I know you, you've referred to him as G unit over the years. He's now, as uh, people may may know, the uh, you know he's been the uh, head coach at uh, LaSalle, had a lot of success over the last you know over decade. I think it's been twelve years at, at LaSalle. W- what did you learn specifically from him? Well, you know, specifically with coach, you know, and then obviously, like I said, he's the one who kind of introduced me into the idea into what Division One basketball is, and be prepared. at the same token, it was also his first head coaching job at the division one level you know what i mean so uh we look back together when we talk and we were both kind of alert we were kind of working off of each other you know and so so those those were those little connections that we had even that pre-existed what when we got in business and in together if you will you know working together uh totally elevated what we were doing you know coach g is you know so passionate about the program his players' well-being, their development, and and how that connects to their college experience. Just you know, having you know the idea of having a well-rounded experience and how that plays out. When you're at Maine, I mean, you had to really, really you know get into the mix with certain things. I mean, uh, there was a time there, Adam, where we signed one player that took we only signed one player that took more than one official visit. You know, and the, and what it, the rest of it came from guys who were transfers. You know, junior college kids, prep school kids, you know, that it, so it really opened up a, a, a dynamic there, um, that I wasn't accustomed to necessarily coming from the Midwest, you know, and what that all meant, you know what I mean? As far as, you know, uh, how that influenced recruiting, you know what I mean? Especially with prep school phenomenon, junior colleges and this, that and the other, you know, so coach G really, really influenced me, not only holistically how to manage a program, but also you know, how to diversify your recruiting network, you know what I mean? And really, really expose what's out there from a recruiting standpoint. You know, he was a very passionate recruiter and still is to this day. Obviously, that's something that you've taken a lot of pride in. And, and behind the scenes, people recognize the, the kind of recruiter that, uh, that you've become. In terms of your individual path, you're at Maine, and then you make your first big coaching move and that's going from Maine to Buffalo. How how did that happen? The assistant coach, Coach Woodward had a hired assistant named Ted Woodward, who was really experienced coach. You know, I uh, worked with Coach Calhoun, uh, up and down the East Coast, you know, and, 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 and I would coach and he actually left to go take the head coaching job at LaSalle. Ted, you know, took over the position. So I had an unbelievable setup there with Coach G and then Ted right there. So you know, uh, Coach Woodward was the one who 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 kind of looked out for me in that regard. It was just uh, after my fourth year at Maine, and we kind of, you know, we're coming off a 23-24 win season, and and it had it going really well. You know, uh, Buffalo was just moving into the Mid American Conference, and I was actually recruiting one of Coach Witherspoon's players, who at that time was a junior college coach in Buffalo at Erie Community College. And through recruiting, you know, these two young men, me and him connected just on a personal level. So he had this life evolvement, if you will, with being hired in the middle of the season at University of Buffalo. And it was just kind of timed out with just kind of where I was at with my coaching cycle. 
and Ted's the one who really pushed it. Coach Woodward and obviously Coach Gene got behind a thousand percent, and it was great. You know, uh, Buffalo was uh, a great city uh, to this day. Shannon and I love that city, and uh, Buffalo was just moving from the Midcon to the Mid American Conference at that time. So that league was good during that time too, Adam. That was a tough league during that. Needless to say, the American East at that time was a tough league. If you look at it, Adam, uh, with Maine, you know, it had Mike Gray at Delaware. You had Jay Wright, you know what I mean, at Hofstra mm-hmm. you know, at the time. You know, uh, Towson was was still in the league, was always really, you know, was always really good. Uh, Bill Herrion was at Drexel, had some mm-hmm. really good teams at Drexel. Um, so, you know, it was, uh, it was uh, Northeastern was in the league. So that was a good, the American East was a lot different at that time. You know, and, uh, you know, not to get sidetracked, but to this day, you know, you could have asked Coach Wright, Coach Bray, and all those guys about that league. That was, uh, also monster teams coming out during that, during that period. You talk about Mike Bray and you talk about uh, Jay Wright and uh, you, you nail it. I mean, those are two of the, the biggest coaching names in the country and we're both coaching it at the America East at, at that time. And I, I want to again hammer home the idea about how great of a, a recruiter you were even even back then. I, I mentioned, you know, off the top of the show, your enthusiasm, your your zest for for just life in general, but but this industry in itself and your passion. Your recruiting classes from 2003 to 2005 at Buffalo ranked first in the Mid American Conference by rivals. So you've obviously gone on to have a ton of recruiting success elsewhere. What's your secret? Well, I, I think. You know, I think, I don't know. I think we've got great head coaches too. You know what I mean? Coach Witherspoon really, really, you know, he was in a unique situation too at Buffalo. Um, that coach was a, this was his first division one head coaching job. And interestingly enough, myself and the assistant Chris Hawkins that, you know, that joined me, uh, on that staff and we were together for five years there. Now we were kind of coach Woodward in a way working with coach spoon so it was a, an evolvement again for all of us and uh coach you know Witherspoon. not only was he passionate about buffalo the program but he was city he grew up in that city you know what i mean and uh you know he really taught me about like you know grit and blue collar so again i think any great recruiter especially from an assistant coach you're only good as your your head coach you know what i mean you know at the end of the day the player the better the player, the more relationship they want with the head coach. You know what right. I mean? So it's a lot going on there with that. You know, so it's a team effort. But needless to say, you know, Coach Spoon was great, and we hit it right with some great kids. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I guess the thing is on my side is just like, uh, you know, anybody who moves me and shares that passion of basketball, you know, that I made over the years, I just, and then Adam, you and I, we've, been, we've known each other forever, you know, and there's, there's people like that out there, and I just enjoy visiting and connecting and staying in touch with those guys, you know what I mean, even if I'm not recruiting one of their players. You know, I and mean, that's kind of, you know, one of the things that Ted Woodward told me back, you know, the key to recruiting in a way is just like, you know, can you build that relationship when you don't need anything from that person? You know what I mean? When you just, it's just, it's, it's just from a personal connection. You want, you're into that, the well-being and, the, and, and where that person's at. You know what I, I mean? Love, if you I can, love that. If you can come from the heart with that, that person is going to share that. And the next time around, you know what I mean? That they have a player, they probably, they may be calling you. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think that's, that's kind of the, the way I'd like to work. You know what I mean? Um, so, um, just enough, not enough hours in a day to keep that up. You know what I mean? <laughs> so you've got to obviously spend your time, spend your time wisely with that. But needless to say, I'm not be the secret that I've always kind of kept. But again, when it comes specific to recruiting, your head coaches, you know, influence, you know, the final, the final product, you know, you know, you're a huge influence in that. I love, I love that philosophy. The idea that you want to maintain relationships, even when you can't gain something from someone. And and in a way, that's how, how we connected. I remember at the time you you were at uh, Buffalo and I Mm -hmm. emailed basically every coach that was associated with division one in the country, because at the time I was shooting, you know, as I basically was working as a freelance guy, started up a business where I was shooting high school games all over the country, shooting video of them. Mm -hmm. And uh, we'd sell them to college coaches, NBA teams that were interested in learning about 
about the high school players that, you know, so we'd go to all the big tournaments in the country and, and shoot everything. Mm-hmm. And I built some relationships that way. And I remember emailing every coach in the country, head coach and assistants, and, you know, got some people responding and people bought tapes at the time. I remember hearing from some big coaches and such. And still to this day, I can remember you had emailed back and with such passion and enthusiasm and, hey, I'd love to connect with you, whatever you're doing. You had a <laughs> slogan that you put at the end of your email, something like enthusiasm makes oh. all the difference or something. Was oh, that, was that the enthusiasm slogan? Enthusiasm makes the difference. I wish I could take the ownership <laughs> of that. You know what I mean? But uh, that is all, ironically, that's all, that's another, that's, that's a completely other story. That's Coach Smith. That's Tubby Smith. Tubby used to sign, Coach Smith used to sign his letters like that. And uh, I had totally stole that from Coach Smith. <laughs> <laughs> well, it works. It obviously works. So, so but it embodied, uh, it embodied, I mean, to this day, I still feel that way, uh, but as a, as a, as a young guy, it was all go all the time. You know, that was, uh, that was the mantra for sure. You know what oh. I mean? On, on that regard. So that's funny you bring that up, Adam. That's funny. Yeah. And so here's the thing is that you send me this email. All of a sudden we have some, some correspondence. Next thing I know, a few weeks later, you were heavily involved in the, in the junior college all American camp. And you invited me to come out to Indianapolis and go shoot the Junior College All-Americans. For people, though, that don't know about the JUCO scene and, and all of that's involved with that and how unique it is, uh, how would you describe that? You know, um, at the time, that was a really unique time, Adam. You know what I mean? And that's, you know, the camp life has kind of been something that me and my dad had kind of been around that on the all the way up you know what i mean and i that's kind of the way i got my, the job at maine was i ran a similar event that you attended in my hometown called super Softs, and it was for the top 42 sophomores in the state of illinois and we ran it for a weekend and it was just like the all-american camp you know the kids came down all expenses boom took care of it by by year three we it was the top 42 sophomores in the midwest and we did it at parkland junior college so they, you know, so when I, but then when I left to go to Division One College, you know, to, to D1, you know, in a way, they, that kind of went off, and now they've got the hoop jamborees, and you've got all these different things, but at the time, in the Midwest, that was a real, they're building it to be a significant, you know, place to be, you know what I mean? So, the JUCO side, you know, was really unique at that time, and for that one year, when you were there, the NCAA allowed staff members from institutions to supervise, coordinate, direct their own event so i literally was an assistant at buffalo at the time running my own ncaa certified event you know it was pretty you know that doesn't happen no more so here you are this young coach having success team success individual success while you're at, at buffalo and you're extremely well connected you're a passionate enthusiastic guy as people are picking up just listening to you on the on the podcast, and you get the Iowa State job. All of a sudden now you're moving your family, two young daughters, to Ames, Iowa, and it seems like it's a, a game changer for you. You're at Iowa not that long under head coach Wayne Morgan when college basketball writer Greg Doyle does an expose on on your head coach. Take me back through that week and, and just how everything shook out and, and changed your world forever. It did. Uh, it did. And I went into it, you know, that whole thing at Iowa State. I thought, me and Chanel, we were so excited. We're going back to the Midwest, closer to our families. And at the time, I had one daughter. I had one daughter who was born in Buffalo and I had another daughter who was actually born in Ames, Iowa. You know, mm. so she is, so, so that was happening during this time. Um, and we'll get to that part. But, you know, I, I, I know now, at that time, there was a lot of changing going on at, at, at Iowa State. Um, like uh, the AD that had recently signed, you know, uh, way into a contract extension coming off an NCAA tournament, you know, second round win against Minnesota. You know, great year, you know what I mean? And then a lot of momentum in the program. Um, but they had an AD change in the middle of that year that I was there to the current AD, you know, and, uh, you know, and you, you, and it's common. You know, I mean, you look now, you know, look four months later, you know, uh, Coach McDermott was being hired. You know what I mean? There at Iowa State. So, 
you know, I should have kind of knew stuff was going on, but I was just so into my thing and kind of, uh, you know, still young. He hasn't quite figured out all the, 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 the those aspects and how they influence your life, you know what I mean? And you're just kind of a part of the cycle. And you are truly connected to your head coach. Whatever happens to him as an assistant, you are, you are, you're part of it, you know, you're part of it. So uh, at the time when that article came out, you know, that was, uh, I didn't know what to make of it because I was, I had no idea about the contents of the article at all. You know what I mean? And, uh, and I think to this day, nothing came of it. You know, it was just completely a shakeup, uh, there, but, uh, it did lead to the buyout of Coach Morgan and, to, you know, Coach Morgan got a buyout and then, uh, us assistants, we got, you know, 30 days pay. You know what I mean? And we were, you know, we were on the move. We, we, we had to kind of figure it out, you know? So that was a, that was a big, that was a, that was a life changing moment. Uh, uh, going from, you know, working your way up through, uh, you know, Maine to Buffalo, Midwest guy. Now you're at, you know, Iowa State. You know what I mean? You know, this part about Iowa State, too, I, I, I was pretty close with the previous staff that was at Iowa State when Wayne was an assistant uh, with Coach Eustace, just through the JC prep stuff and just kind of working the scene always out there. I developed a really close relationship with those guys. So uh, I kind of – it's kind of how I got the job, you know what I mean, is that Wayne needed a, a prep school Midwest guy, and I had been to their camps and had a relationship with their staff that he met me through. and. Uh, and that's how we kind of swung into it. So when we got there, it, 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 we we figured we 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 made it. <laughs> you know, what I mean? <laughs> you know we were going to keep this thing going. You know, we had really good players in the, in the program at the time: Will Blaylock, Curtis Stinson, or Sean Clark. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? You know, you know, proven Big Twelve guys. You know what I'm saying? So, um, so that being said, when when that when Wayne got bought out, that really shook me, Shanetta, our family left home life, all that stuff into a little bit of a spin, you know? So, uh, and, uh, it still had the JC camp going at a couple friends of mine still running it for me while I was in there. So that summer when we got out, ironically to connect the dots, I ran the JC prep challenge that, that, that summer after we got let go, you know what I mean? While still kind of figuring it out in Ains. So, uh, yeah. So that, that was a game changer to say the least. Yeah, and I I remember from that that time. I mean, the the article is basically accusing Morgan of having a relationship with a, uh, it a company a that was scheduling of, games, right? It was it was a company that right, was scheduling right. games. Company that was scheduling games was also the you know a head JC you know JC coach Mike Miller out of L.A. And that there was um, you know scheduling you know who who ran a company called D1 Scheduling, which uh, the AD signed a contract for, you know what I mean, that assisted in connecting, you know, uh, teams that wanted to play, you know what I mean, available games, available dates, you know, these were the, the terms of this game, et cetera, and uh, that's, it, it kind of pulled that all together, you know what I mean, nothing ever came of it with the NCAA, it was pretty much to do about nothing, but um, it definitely shook the tree enough to, uh, you know, for the new AD to, to buy out Coach Morgan. You know what I mean? So, um, who's to say what was what, but that's what happened, Adam. You know what I mean? Right. And then, right. As an assistant coach, you, you're part of that whole, you know, tsunami. You know what I mean? You're just in it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, and you, and you deal with it, you know, that and whatever's going on in your personal life. So, you know, that was the part that really, really, took it to another level for our family was that we had just moved there. We just bought a house. You know, Shanetta was, you know, due with Nyla, you know, that coming early summer, you know, you know, March, you know, you know, in that area right there. And then at the time, you know, I related to how close I was to my father. My father was diagnosed with, uh, it was later that year, same year, uh, diagnosed with cancer that same year. So we had a lot going on, you know, we had a lot going on during that time the one thing mike i remember about that time for you was i just well i remember how how scared you were i mean we were both you know young guys with young families and you know just like people assume and and i think is a big part of your story and for people to hear because you know people assume that coaches uh assistant coaches like have this this cushy life and they go to these big programs and everything's always fine and they're constantly on the up and up and 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 keep moving 
uh, keep progressing, and they don't understand oftentimes the setbacks that can come that are beyond you know, the assistant's control. And and this was one of those instances. And I remember you talking to me about the idea that, and maybe I have this incorrectly, but I, I remember it as the school wanted to to keep you, but at the same time, they were looking almost to wash their hands of, of what was going on uh, just from a PR standpoint. I mean, there was uh, definitely that factor there. I mean, Coach McDermott did take the time to, and and to the and, and Jamie did take the time to meet with me. And I know he they met with our one of our other assistants, Eric Brown. You know, uh, but uh, just like in anything else, you know, what I mean, a new coach wants to bring in his uh, his own his own staff. And at that time, Coach was at Northern Iowa. You know what I mean? So you know, he had a really good feel for um, the state and the Midwest and. And to this day, Coach McDermott is a friend, and I respect him tremendously. You know what I mean? But, uh, you know, it just wasn't a, a good fit for all those factors. You know what I mean? And I don't – I don't. and it is what it is. There's no ill will there. You know what I mean? Right. So, uh, so that being said, you know what I mean? You just like – you just kind of ride the wave. You know what I mean? That that's reality, and that's what's happening. And you take that that happens, and, you, and you've got to put that together with your real with your family life and what's going on there. And like I said, that's what really evolved it for us. You know what I mean? Is that Ames is a small community and they love their clones. They love their clones. But if you're from a uh, coaching staff that just got, you know, bought out, just got bought out, you know, even though we won, you know, I mean, just got bought, you still don't want to, you know, you, you just be, it's not the place for you. You know what I mean? So right. uh, we, we had to deal with that and, Thank goodness, talking about relationships, Shanetta, you know, hit it right with a uh, her former boss and 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 people back there, and they have expanded into a new situation there with Blue Cross Blue Shield and uh, a consulting company, and she uh, she got a job. She uh, she got a great opportunity to go back to Buffalo. So that's what we did. You know, I mean, we thought that we'd feel like the best family move at that time was to go back to Buffalo new family and then it gave me a, you know, that time there to really kind of dial in with my dad too. You know what I mean? Uh, and so that's when I made the decision to step away from coaching, you know, college coaching after 10 years doing it straight, you know what I mean? Stepped away from the actual coaching sideline. How, how difficult was that for you? You know, at the time I was so wrapped up into the emotion of what was going on with the birth of Nyla and then my dad. And then I, I kind of, you know, it's funny. I, uh, when it immediately happened, I, I, uh, there were some opportunities that came up, but I just didn't feel right to move my family. It wasn't, it just didn't feel like going to this spot or that spot was the right move for the family, uh, necessarily. Yeah. I didn't want to get caught up in that web. Yeah. I knew that this next one had to be, had to stick for a minute. So. I kind of threw myself into the JC prep challenge. You know, we had a great event that summer. I literally threw myself into it, and that's all I dialed in on that summer. But then once that concluded, um, that's when the, we had to make some real life decisions, you know. And, and you know, Shanetta is unbelievable, you know. And, and, and at the time, it was tough. But at the same token, that's what reintroduced me into Canada basketball, and what was going on there on the grassroots level. And it was just on the cusp of some really big things. And now all of a sudden I was a free agent, you know, and I could go work out who I wanted to work out whenever I wanted to work out. You know what I mean? I could go, you know, meet with somebody and develop this relationship without being tied to an incidentally recruiting calendar. You know what I mean? And, and so that's kind of the way I perceived it. I was going to just basically be my own private business basketball business there. And then, but, Obviously, that doesn't last too long. You still gotta, you gotta, you got a family to support and things. So we had to think of ways to kind of, you know, me and my wife as a team, you know, how do we keep this thing going so I can maintain a connection to what in my heart felt like, you know, what I, what I wanted to be, you know what I mean? What I want to be. So it was a tough transition, Adam, all the way around, you know, I and mean, it was, it was a life changer to say the least. Well, I'll tell you this. To this day, I admire the fact that you showed such positivity through that time. Your wife, Shanetta, was was incredible. I, I just, I, I had just uh, so much admiration for what you were dealing with and how you dealt with it. And I know it wasn't easy, but I always felt like it was going to work out for me. I know you dipped your foot into the pool of broadcasting, um, yeah. and uh, it was all this transitional stuff that you were that you were trying to do deal with. But at the end of the day. 
you're trying to feed your family and and I admired you for that and I but I was so thankful when here comes Keno Davis at Providence you get a job there and now you're you're back where you belong and that is coaching uh college basketball players because you're you're a talented guy uh, when it comes to that so Keno Davis for people that may remember he had had success at Drake Dr. Tom Davis's son uh, now that Providence team that, that you were a part of featured future pro Marshawn Brooks. And it's, mm-hmm. it's an interesting year. And, and, and again, you hit more, uh, adversity. The Friars were 12 and eight. You guys just beat mm-hmm. a top 20 UConn team and it rolled over them really. And then wheels yeah. came off. You, the Friars lose their last 11 games of the season. What happened? You know, that was a really, really uh, a roller coaster ride of the season. And I think, you know, right there, you know, like you said, I mean, Coach was like, he knows amazing. You know what I mean? For giving me that opportunity at the time, you know, uh, you know, Pat Scary, a good friend, is now the head coach at Towson, um, was also there, was also during that season. So great basketball minds and obviously great talent and recruiters. I don't know. It's just, I think there was some, if you recall, there was some decisions made off the court personally by the guys. You know what I mean? Guys, a couple guys got in trouble mm-hmm. and it just kind of just filtered into the locker room. And, uh, you know, any great team, you know, Adam, and, and, and I'll just allude to that, what we have here, it, 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 they take ownership within the locker room. There comes a time in the season where, you know what I mean? We're, hey guys, we're going to be great. We're going to be elite. And that comes from within the locker room. And that, dynamic can go both ways you know what i mean it could definitely go both ways and and unfortunately at providence it went that way and uh you know it, it, by the time i was already made the decision to to move on uh for providence uh you know there was a incident there that involved a couple of freshmen where they got into a physical altercation on campus with a student you know what i mean and that evolved and uh and it just it just it just it just goes to show you, Adam, in this business, you know, it could turn very quickly. You know what I mean? You could have a lot of success season to season. Next thing you know, you know, uh, you know, it, it could turn quickly. So I think that's why you see a lot of paranoid head coaches <laughs> that are out there, you know, for sure. So anyways, it was just uh, the same way a, a great team could take ownership and take it to another level on a championship level. It could definitely, you know, turn you know, against you as well. And I think that's exactly what happened at Providence, you know. So, um, and, and it put me in a tough spot because there, you know, uh, my family was still living in Buffalo. I was in Providence. So that was the tricky part was getting into a situation that, you know, made sense for us as a family. I just didn't want to get them in a situation where they were moving spot to spot often. You know what I mean? You right. see that story happen. And even though us, we moved a lot, you know what I mean? But, you know, we also spent, you know, uh, a significant time in Buffalo after the Ames move, you know, and back to Buffalo. So there was some consistency there. This was our second time around in Buffalo, you know. So um, so that being said, you know, I mean, we all made the decision in Shinetta that, they, hey, you know, I mean, Providence. So we, we moved for Providence. And then, uh, ironically enough, at that time, Coach Altman uh, was at Creighton and uh, he had an opportunity on his staff and I had dialogue with him you know during that time and uh as a couple months moved on you know that changed from the opportunity of Creighton because coach took the opportunity at here at Oregon so uh um that all happened uh that spring after uh we made the decision to not stick with Providence that's all it's all pretty wild one thing about Providence though in spite of all the losing and in spite of, again, you keeping a positive attitude through that with, with all the turmoil. Uh, one thing that is memorable about that season, you end up as an assistant coach on a team that played basically in one of the wildest games in Big East tourney history. Your day one game against Seton Hall, you guys were one of the top scoring teams in the country. You also didn't play much defense yeah. that year. No. Um, And Seton Hall's up 27 points with under 14 minutes to play. The season has been miserable. You've lost a ton of games in a row. Tell me what happens next. Oh, my gosh. It's unbelievable. I mean, 1-3 led to Marshawn just kind of got loose a little bit. And then just like momentum shifts in any basketball game, you know what I mean? It, It was just a tidal wave of activity 
on our side. I just remember going to the 12 media timeout. We had cut the lead recently, just like into like the teens, 18. Uh, I remember Marshawn Brooks, and at that time, our most talented player, and at the same time, the biggest X factor, if you will, not only on the court, but off the court, and everybody would touch that, uh, Greedy Peterson. Uh, Jameen Peterson, uh, unbelievable athlete. Pound for pound was the best athlete in the Big East, I thought, at that time, you know. And then we had a player by the name of Sherrod Curry, a senior, and they just got real emotional, and they just just decided, hey, we're going to win this thing. And, and like I said, it just comes from inside, and next thing you know, uh, a careless turnover on the season all side leads to a three. I remember even Duke Mundy, our, our freshman at the time, hit some back-to-back threes, and he actually had triggered some great plays, you know, making plays, steals. Uh, at the time, he had, he, I think he was at the top of the Big East, or in top five minimally in steals. And his senior year at Oakland, fast forward to his final career thing, he was the nation's leading steal leader. So anyways, even at that time, he, 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 he spurned us to that point. And uh, we actually had a three to win it. Um that just kind of ricocheted off at the buzzer. Actually, had a three to win that game. Crazy, crazy, un- crazy. unbelievable! Crazy. You guys, you guys, no, one hundred nine to one hundred six. You lose that game. That's unbelievable. There's so many of them out there. I've been on both sides <laughs> of it. Been on both sides of that thing. So many out there. You know what I mean in regards to that. So, uh, yeah. but yeah, that was a wild one. That was a wild one. And I really thought after that game. Um, that, that the emotion and the swing and the momentum shift of that game would really, really influence um, us, the team, to have a real positive spring. You know what I mean? A real big spring. And, and uh, you know, like, uh, you know, it, it just it just got away from a couple guys one weekend. And, uh, you know, there you have it. You know, there you, there you have there it. You, you know, so. There you have it, so, yeah. You know, no, 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 no matter how many, uh, how awesome that was, that last little 12 minutes and everything like that, at the end of the day, you lost, they lost, uh, had that losing streak, a lot of L's, and, and it just wasn't, you know, big picture kind of settled in, and it just wasn't the right thing. But I really thought that that was, was going to motivate a spring of success. But uh, it was not to be, Adam, it was not to be. <laughs> like we talked about some of the negative things, but a positive, I mean, you had been involved during this stretch, you always sort of been involved with your uh, ties in Canadian basketball. And yeah. really, you, you saw the tidal wave, to use your term, uh, the, the tidal wave coming of, of the great Canadian influence, not just in the U.S. on basketball, but also, you know, worldwide, just the talent that was coming out of there. You saw these guys as, as young players, including, you know, the next great Canadian star, Andrew Wiggins. Um, yeah. What was your involvement in Canadian basketball, and what were you seeing at that time? Well, at the time when I when we moved from Ames to Buffalo, I you know I kept myself involved. Like I said, we were doing camps and individual workouts and all different types of things throughout through Buffalo and in Canada. And uh, you know, I got really good friends with Tony McIntyre and Mike George and their programs. Uh, and, and now that that program CIA Bounce. Uh, that, you know, at that time, they were, they were rival at that time and pioneer to grassroots basketball up there, Ro Russell at Grassroots Canada, you know, was a good friend of mine and, and I respect Ro and, and he's still doing his thing up there. But, they, you know, that, that, even though that was a rivalry and, and things were young, that that has, has, was the foundation of so many, you know, I mean, uh, things that are going up positive with basketball in Canada right now from, from that to now. You talk about a young man by the name of Andrew Wiggins who just kind of, you know, revolutionized, uh, you know, you think about Andrew and the Raptors, you know, the Raptors coming into Toronto really, really, you know, moved a, when I say heavy dominant hockey culture, you know, you don't really quite get it until you spend significant time in Canada to this day, you know, you go on their sports center. I mean, it's, it's hockey. You know what I mean? But then you look now where it is about basketball and the talent and you watch a playoff Raptor game, you know, you're like, whoa, you know what I mean? That's that they, people are, you know, the common fan is vibing that basketball on the Canadian side. You know what I mean? So it's super exciting. And I've been really, really blessed. Um, and you look back, even in my toughest time of leaving and losing that opportunity to Ames, Iowa and being part of that thing at Iowa State, 
you know, it, it led to uh, a deep relationship, a deeper connection with Canada, their coaches and basketball and just the uh, landscape there and what it means to be in the future, even regardless if I get, we recruit Canadians here at Oregon or not, just, you know, I care about where that's going. You know what I mean? Uh, led to that relationship and connection. You know what I mean? So, so it's funny how, you know, something, a negative situation could happen in your life and at the time you're dealing with it. But fast forward, if you persevere and kind of stay true to your heart there, how that becomes a positive influence. You know what I mean? And, so, and, and, and in my case, you know, a, a direct impact, you know what I mean, to what I, what I do day to day, you know. So, uh, um, so Canada basketball, Andrew was a big part of it, and that, it's just exciting times up there now. Tell me about the first time you laid eyes on Andrew Wiggins. <laughs> you know, he was already kind of named that guy. I mean, he was like that eighth grader that was dunking in basketball games. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I mean? So it didn't take much. And, and uh, it's funny um a little interesting story about my connection there with Andrew and his family his mom is an Olympic sprinter and when she was on the come up training she would ironically train at the University of Illinois in you know Champaign Urbana uh. you know and <laughs> at the time her husband okay was is obviously Mitchell and Mitchell was with the Rockets so Mitch was just on the back end of his career he spent time with his wife so he spent his summers in Champaign Urbana and I was uh, just, uh, you know, senior, fresh junior and more at state kind of, you know, in that little time of my life. And like I said, there was no AAU basketball. You literally would go to the park and play, or you'd go play a pickup and play. And mm-hmm. me and Mitch, we'd play all the time, not knowing, you know, <laughs> that this was happening with Andrew. Isn't that funny? You know what I mean? So we left that to this day. I mean, obviously they got their own thing going now and I, I do too, but, um, you know, that family, I mean, you know, Andrew was, you know, he was kind of born to play. You know what I mean? When you think about who his mom was and what Mitch was, and, you know, he was just kind of born to play. So a genuine kid, amazing kid, so humble, you know, not really into all everything that goes with it, but, you know, he knows that that's a part of it. Um, but he just flashed that smile on you, and, uh, man, he's just such a humble kid. You know, I got a great, great respect and a place in my heart for Andrew. So none of his success surprises you? None of it surprises me. <laughs> you know, none of it surprises me. You know what I mean? He And he had some big brothers along the way that kind of showed him his lessons too. You know what I mean? So he had a he had an older brother, Mitchell, uh, and then another uh, uh, older brother, Nick, who, uh, you know, had a final four runs and a lot of success still playing pro to this day. It was at Wichita State and was a Juco guy, as a matter of fact. Uh, ironically enough, had time there with Dan Sparks, uh, at Wabash Junior College. Um, that being said, uh, um, you know, Andrew had a lot of experiences, uh, from other people in his family that kind of, you know, played to his growth and development as well. You end up at, at Canisius. Um, you're there under Jim Barron. Uh, family's happy. You're now back in this, in this Northeast world. And all of a sudden, again, you know, the big time comes calling. How'd you end up at Oregon? Yeah, well, Canisius was a lifesaver. Coach Barron to this day just recently retired, Hall of Fame coach. I love that guy. You know what I mean? And uh, had the pleasure of coaching him and one of his sons, Billy Barron, who was, uh, wouldn't surprise me if he, he somehow, you know, cracks an NBA lineup sometime in the future. He's, he's mm-hmm. so dedicated to the game, you know. Um, so that was a life changer from getting back in. The beautiful thing about Canisius is I had a five-minute walk from my house to the office, and nothing really changed for me. You know what I mean? I was still doing that basketball life. I just was doing it out of Canisius. So Coach was unbelievable. He stayed just kind of getting me back into it. And two years later, you know, we won 43 games at Canisius, turned that thing around, and, uh, you know, this opportunity with Coach Altman came back and – and needless to say, uh, I am so, so grateful and humbled um, by, you know, working for a guy like Coach and just what we're doing now at Oregon. And and it is a it's a proud to be a duck, that is for sure. And that goes for myself and my family. You know, you you touched on Dylan Ennis, who's a transfer from from Villanova, um, and about what you expect out of out of his future. 
Chris Boucher, superstar, you know, came the Juco route. Dylan Brooks was a, a Canadian recruit who reclassified and you had previous relationships with. You had your hand in all those guys ending up becoming Oregon Ducks. So I guess my question to you ultimately is what's the common thread to to getting talented players even across, I guess, different platforms? You know, I, I, I think that it just gets right back down to the beginning part of this conversation. You know what I mean? And you gotta, you gotta be true to your heart. You gotta follow a path of heart in a lot of this stuff. And, and I remember, you know, one thing that, you know, and that's just a quote, like, you know, you know, Rick, Coach Patino, I know he's dealing with this stuff now, but I have great respect for him as a coach and, and an order and what he says. And he wants to, you know, real passion makes communication easy. And I think as long as you're passionate from the heart and you, and, and a lot of these guys, all these guys from Chris to Dylan to, Dylan Ennis and Dylan Brooks and Chris Boucher, every one of those guys come from a connection and relationship that happened years and years ago when nothing was at stake. You know what I mean? So, you know, that was, that, 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 that to me, you know what I mean, is what you could apply that principle, I think, to any line of work, you know, or any type of uh, mantra for your life, you know what I mean, that you're following, you know what I mean? So, I, 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 I you know, so, so that's, that's how that happened. You know what I mean? That's how this happened. You know, a big reason that Coach Altman, I think, brought, you know, brought me on here was, you know, was Oregon had experienced a lot of success previous to me in Canada. And at the time, you know, there was a lot. Uh, he saw the future. He saw what was happening. And, uh, and, and that's, that's, that, that's a testament as much to my personal races as his recognizing that, you know, to what we're doing now. So, obviously, we want to keep that going. You know what I mean? But uh, those three young men at the end of the day, relationship, no relationship, connection, no connection, Boucher, Ennis, and Brooks still have to get it done on the court, just like anybody else. You know what I mean? And I hope, you know, Boucher and Brooks have proven that. Ennis has proven that. Again, Adam, you know, that, that, that that's a blessing uh, over that, 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 that opened itself up to me many years ago, and it's just coming to fruition now. Oregon had such an amazing year this year. You had such an amazing year. I was so excited for, for your success, especially with all the setbacks that you've had to endure and, and you have in, in such a classy way. You guys ended up as the dominant program in the Pac-12 this year. You win the regular season. You win the conference tournament. Earn the school's first ever number one seed in the NCAA tournament. At what point during this season did you realize that this Ducks team was was doing something special? Hmm. There was a many different, you know, milestones, if you will. I think obviously the biggest one, you know what I mean, if you really, really point to it, was our January, you know, win at Arizona. You know what I mean? When we got that, when we when we came together collectively as a group and fought through adversity, and I mean, and that was for that was they'd won forty nine in a row going into that night, and we were going to be number fifty, and uh, the guys just kind of rose to the occasion and uh, and gave old Coach Menega one heck of a birthday present that night. Adam. <laughs> that <was my> so ironically enough, that was a birthday night for me too. So man, that was, if there was one milestone where it kind of, kind of really, really indicated to uh, everybody in that locker room that, um, that we could do this uh, uh, and we could win this whole thing was that night. You know, that brought it to reality, I believe. You know what I mean? We weren't, we had a little thing that summer going into it after last year's run that we weren't afraid to say that we were going to the final four. You know, we were talking about it verbally. You know what I mean? Even though, you know, so that's something uh, that we kind of started as a, as a team coming off that, that loss to Wisconsin. Uh, you know, in that early in Joe Young's senior year, it was just like, you know, we're not going to be afraid to say it. You know what I mean? We're going to talk about it, you know? And, right. uh, and, and I think that was all in the back of my mind. But when that Arizona game happened, that, that, that right there was just like, woo, you know, we may be, we may, we, we, we are who I think we are. You know what I mean? You know, and so that was, uh, that was a special night. Well, it's interesting because while you guys understood how talented, how good you were and, and worthy of that number one seed as worthy as, as anyone. I mean, when you looked at the strength of schedule and the RPI and, you know, wins against the top 50, your resume was so impressive this year, just a great year. And yet most experts, even though you're the one seed, we're picking you guys to lose to, to Duke 
And yet you come out, you play extremely tough, you play hard, you play well, beat Duke. And then, of course, what everyone remembers about that game is that, you know, Coach K essentially scolds Dylan Brooks and for taking a shot late in the game. And what was was so crazy about that is the stories have since come out. Coach K has done that to other players and what have you. And, and I think we all, everyone in the college basketball world, in the basketball world, has a lot of respect for, for Coach K, for sure. But what was wild was just how well Dylan Brooks handled that situation and really with grace and sort of, he sort of fell on the sword, even though he knew Coach K had, had done something wrong. How much was that actually a distraction over the next few days? Well, we were just, well, we were so happy for our team. And, and you know, that obviously that wasn't, you know, Dylan did, did what he was told. You know, Coach Altman told me to shoot the shot. He shot the shot. He made the shot. He apologized to to coach at the end of the game there, Coach K. And, 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 and you know, so Dylan did everything right on that one. So, you know, uh, you know, who's to say if that influence, influence didn't, didn't, you know what I mean? I don't know. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, we didn't, you know, Oklahoma definitely came out with a little more energy than us. And, uh, you know, we're going to use that as a, you know, a chip on our shoulder. So we're, we're using that as motivation. You know, I know that's how Dylan's approaching it. He's not overthinking it. You know, he's, uh, he's a determined warrior. And, uh, you know, we were just really, really happy and proud for that, that win over Duke. Obviously, Duke in, in the, Duke win in the NCAA tournament. That's some, that's, they're historic. You know what I mean? During the NCAA tournament. So to get them, uh, in the elite eight, you know, in, in the elite eight title level game, you know, uh, was, uh, was great for us and our program. So I'll just leave it at that, Adam, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, but, there's, you know, but, uh, obviously, you know, that's a testament. I didn't want to take anything away from Oklahoma because they, they came out with a lot more energy and, uh, they made us pay, uh, for every little mistake that we, that we didn't get done. Listen, an outstanding season. Uh, and, and you should be super proud about what your guys did, what you accomplished as, as a coaching staff. Just a wonderful, wonderful year. My last question for you, Mike, is just there are going to be young guys listening to this, young women listening to this podcast who want to know about, well, how can I be an assistant coach and how can I go through all the ups and downs that, uh, that come through it? But certainly now you're in a position where there's a lot to be, uh, to look, reflect on and look back upon as you've hit this point in your career and all that you've been, been around, what advice would you give to the young people that are interested in getting into coaching basketball? Well, obviously if you're interested in coaching basketball, obviously you're probably doing something right now, basketball connected, whether it's a player, whether you're a student assistant, a manager, or you're, you're, you're doing something to push the envelope. If this is something we want to do. And, you know, my word of advice is the same thing that I've been talking about through this conversation is just like anybody that you meet along your path, no matter, you know, what their position, what their gender is, you know, how early you are in your career, their career, you know, you, you just never know that's a potential seed that you can plant to something that's going to come back to pay a blessing to you later in your coaching career. And, that, and that's happened to me so many times over. And, uh, and you know, this Adam, you know, the, the, the whole coaching, you know, family out there, if you will, is, is a tight circle. And, uh, you know, it, it, you, you don't have to go too far to find somebody who knows, some, who knows somebody, you know what I mean? So, uh, that's a common, that's a common chord that anybody that, that's looking to get in this line of work knows, knows and, or will know very, very soon. So that being said, you know, as soon as you become in the, Hey, this is where I want to go and be, uh, do, uh, do not underestimate the power of relationships and the impression that you can make it with people by just spending time with them and connecting with them. And particularly when they don't, when you don't need anything from them, when there's no direct instant gratification from that person. I think that's the biggest thing that kids these days, they, they want that instant gratification. And sometimes, and most of the time, the best things in life, you know, do not come from instant gratification. You know, they come from a process and a, and a connection and a relationship and, taking care of it, you know, and uh, so that would be kind of my, my main thing to anybody looking to get into the final work. Is there a book or a video or a conference that you specifically would would say, hey, this is something you have to, you have to get to know? 
Oh my gosh. I mean, I, I refer so many books, you know what I mean? And things like that. You know what I mean? I got, I got, I got books from the art of war to the mind of a ninja to <laughs> stuff good players should know. You know what I mean? So I, it, 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 you know, I guess, you know, you just kind of let your, your heart kind of, you know, gravitate, you know what I mean? To where you want to go. Uh, you know, Dick Defendio's, uh, book, stuff good players should know is an amazing book and a collection of basketball thoughts and philosophies. And the way the story is told, the book is told, it's section by section, and it's, it's kind of coached to players. It's like a coach talking to a player, and it's tremendous. It's tremendous. And uh, I'm a big, uh, I'm, in, I'm into like that old medieval, uh, you know, ninja warfare, samurai warfare. So I read those type of books too. You know, what I mean, it kind of gets my my mind going in uh, in different ways, and and I refer to that all the time. I refer to those things all the time. So uh, so. You know, if I had to make one book recommendation to any up-and-coming basketball coach, I'd say Stuff Good Players Should Know by Dick Spencer. And if I were to make one uh, email tag that people should know, it's Tubby Smith's and Mike Menega's enthusiasm makes all the difference. Uh, Mike, thank you so much, buddy. I I, I cannot thank you enough. If people want to connect uh, with Mike, uh, you can reach him through Twitter at Menega 32 that's M-E-N-N-E-N-G-A 32. Mike, I, I'm super appreciative of not only taking the time, but just your honesty and uh, and really just, I, I'm so glad that the people outside of myself are going to get a chance to hear about, you know, the kind of person you are and your perseverance because uh, I'm incredibly proud of uh, all that you've achieved and, and all that you've worked through. Uh, both to you and and your family. So congratulations and and thanks again for for joining me. Oh, awesome, man! Thanks for the opportunity, man. It's my it's my pleasure. My pleasure. It's Mike Menega. Again, check him out on Twitter. But to follow the Oregon Ducks, I know that would make him uh, happiest most of all to uh, add some more more Duck fans to the fray. Again, I, I really am proud of Mike, and I'm incredibly thankful and, and grateful that he would join me on this podcast. You can subscribe to the podcast, Great Point Podcast, on iTunes. We're on Twitter, at Great Point Pod. I'm Adam Stanko. I'm on Twitter, at Lives. Really, really appreciate every single person listening. Appreciate Yao Jeez, who does the intro music. That'll do it for me. We'll catch you next time.